Morning. Today is beautiful in its own way. Not the way I like, but I wasn't consulted, and it's better that way. I think sometimes we just have to trust that the God who created all things probably understands the weather weather patterns better than we do, and the whys. But it is beautiful if you don't have to be in it. It's pretty gorgeous. Um, As of now, there is still a uh, Thanksgiving community service at Lincolnville Baptist Church tonight. I could just get a quick honest show of hands. How many of you are planning to go? Well, you're next door. (laughs) All right. No judgment here. The weather is bad. But as long as it's happening, I'm going to try to get there to represent us. And Kristen will be there. Okay, I'm not going to make you sing by yourself. All right. But I love the community services. Just sometimes, you know, sometimes the windows are transparent. You know what I'm talking about. But um, I think it's wonderful that we are able to do that as a community. So if it's happening, I will try to be there. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. That was my welcoming verse from last week. I still like it. I didn't change it for this week. The implications of that are pretty amazing. And as I said last week, it's really hard to know where to stop in 1 John when you're looking for themes. And I'm sure there's smarter people than me who read 1 John and see it as like a three-part thing. or I'm not one of those people, unfortunately. So the more I read it, the more it seems like one continuous thought. But I know there's smaller thoughts and ideas in there because last week I was like, oh, I should stop here. Um, But when I was reading it to myself and preparing, that was not clear to me. So I am planning to go through uh, 1 John 4 and 5 today. They're both short. Also, happy Thanksgiving. Nothing? Really? Happy Thanksgiving. It is an amazing holiday, and I'll tell you why. Because you get to eat food with the people you love. You don't have to buy them gifts. You don't have to do anything overly commercial other than grocery shop because that's getting expensive. But you just get to eat with the people you love. We used to call that Sunday dinner, really. You guys remember that concept? I mean, some of us do it from time to time, but I remember after church, we would go to my grandmother's house and we'd all eat together. And sometimes it was uncomfortable because, you know, family. And then we would go to my other grandmother's house and we would eat again. Somehow I was still skinny as a kid. But that's what Sunday used to be. But now that's Thanksgiving. And I think it makes me love Thanksgiving even more. Because it's that time where it's actually culturally appropriate, you know. The world, the entire world, this is not just an American thing. It's a Western thing. We're kind of a victim society where nothing is ever correct. We're always looking for why everything is against me. But we get this day where it is culturally appropriate to say, Look at all this good stuff in my life. 
Let me be thankful for all the things that I have. And I think that's worth celebrating for certain. Let me just be thankful. People say it's not even a religious holiday. Great. Because it might be the most Christian holiday we have in America because we're actually being thankful for what we have. Now, granted, a short, what, one minute after people will be trampling over each other to find a good deal on an iPhone. But before that, we take the time aside to actually be thankful for what we have. And I am so thankful for what I have. I'm actually so thankful for this church, too. The people that come to this church make the church. You realize that's what I mean when I say that. It's a nice building and all, but I'm thankful for this congregation. All the flaws and bumps and bruises and insensitivities and sensitivities and all of it. I love you people. You've been so good to me. You've been so good to me in different ways. People in the congregation are good to me in different ways. Some people are incredibly encouraging. Some people are incredibly challenging where they hold me accountable for the things that come out of my mouth. And I'm going to be honest with you. I desperately need that. I have a lazy conscience. It's very active, but it doesn't stop me until after I already said it. And then I just have to feel guilty about it until I can finally get over it. I have a strong need for accountability in life where I grow lazy. So for the people that are really good at providing me with accountability, man, I love that. And I love you. Those who give me compliments, even though I look awkward and I don't know how to handle it. I'm Swedish. I don't know if that's true. Maybe it's a Johnson thing. Even though I'm really bad with compliments, it means a lot to me. It really does. I just don't know how to respond. I'm just like, okay, thanks. It's kind of like when someone sings happy birthday to you as an adult and you just kind of stand there like, And many more, you know, it doesn't mean I don't love it and I don't appreciate it. I really do. I just am so delightfully awkward. It's fun. It's fun being awkward. Not as a kid, as an adult though, it gets fun. It gets fun. I can make almost any situation awkward. Like right now, for example, you're like, why aren't you preaching? I think that was enough about me for today, don't you? All right, let's get to the Word of God, which, as I've said before, is where you find the answers in the divinely inspired Word of God, which I am very privileged to be able to talk about. It's a blessing, and I'm thankful for it. Not to make it about me again. Sorry. Wow. All right. I'm on chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is even now already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. That's beautiful, isn't it? 
You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I'm just going to take a second there. Have you ever thought about it, the fact that you have already overcome? It doesn't always feel like it, but you've already overcome because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I used to be a big fan of the phrase, get behind me, Satan. What if he's already behind me? I mean, not that I'm not going to have issues and not that I shouldn't quote Jesus when I get the opportunity to. But the realization that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He's already back there. I just need to stop looking back. Get behind me, Satan. He's back there. Keep moving. Speaking of which. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. That's pretty profound, isn't it? I'm always baffled when we as Christians are surprised when the world acts like the world. Because fundamental to our beliefs is we are corrupt aside from the grace of God. Would anyone argue against that? We are absolutely corrupt aside from God. Yet I'm somewhat baffled almost every time we as Christians are surprised when people who are apart from God, who do not know God, and are dwelling within their corruption, act corrupt. I'm not giving them an excuse. It's bad. Call out the bad when you see it. Definitely. Don't go, oh, well, can't help it. That's not what I'm saying. We should be praying for them. They don't know any better. If corruption is all you have, you're going to get good at it. We need to pray for these people. You can still call out corruption when you see it, but don't be surprised. It is man's neutral setting. Corruption. It's how we start. Well, it's not how humans started, but, you know, ever since the first two, it's kind of how we start. Corrupt. We should be praying for a better world. We should be trying to make a better world through our influence. Our influence that's guided by the Holy Spirit, exposing people to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's how you make the world a better place. This beautiful world that when God created, he said, it is good. Did it stop being good just because we got bad? This is a beautiful world. It's beautiful. And all these corrupt little people are made in the image of God. So there is something that we should look at and see worth redeeming. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? That you'll never look into the eyes of a human being that Jesus Christ wasn't willing to die for. Regardless of how corrupt they are. Sweet baby Ray. I love that kid already. 
Oh, believe it or not, I missed that stage. Didn't know that was going to happen. I miss all the stages. For parents, you get what I'm saying, right? Like, do I ever want to change diapers again? No, of course not. However, what do I miss? You remember when the kid used to fit like right here? You could just hold them tight and they'd like play with your beard if you're a guy and you have a beard. Or I'll leave that alone. You remember how precious that was? And how in an instant you understood God in a whole new way that you never thought about before and couldn't compartmentalize and couldn't even fathom. You couldn't fathom God in the same way as when you're holding your infant in your arms and it's touching your face and you're just like, oh, I get it. I'm just getting a tiny taste of it, but oh, I get it. Man. You know, there's some churches where they have really great children's ministries and God bless them. There's a place for that for certain. I kind of get excited when kids are in the service with us and I get to see you know, them at their different stages. And you know, there's going to be some day when I have an adult daughter, I'm going to be like, I remember when she was 12. Man, I miss that. I still like her right now. I'm just saying, there's going to be a day when I'm nostalgic about this period too. I wonder how many times the horse is going to be in that memory, though. It's okay. It's okay. She's not sharing the spotlight. All right. Let's get on. Verse 7. God's love and ours. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And I say this every time I mention this verse. God is love, right? Love is not God. God is love. Because if you say that they're the same inside your head, which culture tends to for some reason, vaguely spiritual America says, well, God is love. What they're accidentally accepting, though, is the idea that love is God. And that's not it. Not every lovely feeling you have is God, right? Some of us love things that are not in our best interest. And sometimes it becomes God to us. But that's not it. What it's saying, God is love. All love, true love, comes from a holy God. It's a holy love from a holy God. We have one word for it in English, so we're going to get confused sometimes. And I've talked about that before, I'm sure. That, you know, other languages might have six words for love. But I have to explain strong emotion the same way I feel about certain styles of music, right? Like I actually, I love weird subgenres of music. So if I brought up music, I'd be like, oh, I love whatever band. I love Still Waiting. I do. Let's pretend I don't know them as people at first. I love Still Waiting. I love my daughter. I love frozen peas. I love cheese. It, it fails in, I love Jesus. They're not on the same level. And I now know that I've said this before because I remember going off on frozen peas. They're delicious. I don't know why they retain their sweetness, but now I'm, I'm off again. But I wanted to use that silly illustration. 
Another reason why I talk about me is because if I'm talking about me, I'm not talking about you as individuals and putting you in the spotlight and making you uncomfortable, right? It isn't because I love myself that much. It's because I'm a safe target. I know me. I know what's going to offend me. I can talk about me. If it comes off as narcissistic, narcissist, I can't even say it. See how good I am? If it comes off as narcissistic, I genuinely apologize. This isn't about me. I use me as an example because I know I'm not going to get hurt. If I use you as an example, I don't know how your emotions work. I barely understand my own. You know, I could say something beautiful about some. I've offended people by giving them a weird compliment before from the pulpit. I thought it was a compliment. They took it as an offense. And you know what? I was responsible for that because I made them uncomfortable. It wasn't my intention. But what they heard was very different from what I said or what I meant to say. They heard what I said. They interpreted it. Once it left my mouth, though, took on a whole new meaning everything. We're good now. We're good now. And it's no one that's here this morning, but it wasn't over that comment. Okay. Anyhow. So again, God is love. God is holy above all things. And I'll go off on that on a different Sunday, but God is holy above all things. God is love, but it's a holy love, right? God is just, but it's a holy justice. God is mercy, but it's a holy mercy. God is holy above all things, but God is love. It's a holy love. It's a pure love. It's something we struggle to try to emulate. And we get a taste of it every now and again by the grace of God, which is a holy grace, by the way. This is how God showed us his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That sounds as though you can't have one without the other, doesn't it? We love one another. God's love is made complete in us. There's many people that I truly believe love Jesus that have told me, I just don't like people. And that is a true thing you could be experiencing. People are hard to deal with. But let's remember something. All of us have quirks. All of us have things we have to pick up and carry. I didn't used to like people. I love people because I love Jesus and Jesus has enabled me to love people. And it's only taken like, what, 17 years so far. But I'm getting there. Getting there because of Jesus, because God is enabling me to love people. People are still people. They've always been people. They do horrible and corrupt things. And so do I. Mostly in the past tense, praise Jesus. But I'm not immune. I'm not immune to corruption. But I know who I am now. Right? If God calls me his son and I know who I am now, 
Well, that makes things a little more serious, doesn't it? Are you a child of God or are you a tourist amongst children of God? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Hmm. This is how we know we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. If anyone acknowledged Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them. That is a pretty amazing declaration, don't you think? There's... Okay. I... Just let that be powerful on its own. I was going to go into nerd mode for a second. God. The one, only God lives in you. Okay. It's hitting me really hard right now, but that's okay. It will, it'll get you. It'll get you. Hmm. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how we how love is made complete among us, that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Love casts out fear. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. You ever notice it doesn't say he who claims to love God but hates a brother or sister is mistaken? doesn't say he who claims to love God but hates his brother or sister is in slight error. It says he's a liar. And as I remember from Proverbs, one of the seven things God hates is a lying tongue. I don't want God to hate me. Or my tongue, for that matter. For whoever does not love their brother and sister who they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So if you can't love someone you have seen, how are you going to love God who you have not seen? And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. It's a command. 
I'm quoting someone I consider to be a heretic, but this was wisdom, so I'm not even going to tell you who it is. Can you claim that you love, you love someone, you just don't like them? Well, every parent on earth has probably claimed that at some point, but let me stop you there. Don't do that. If we're supposed to be like Jesus, can you love someone without liking them? Which brings me the question that I'm stealing from someone. So if you hear some TV preacher or something say this, be like, yeah, I did hear that from them. I don't want to endorse their ministry, but I'm going to go ahead and say, I found this very profound. Does Jesus tolerate you? Because that's what you're saying. I love them, but I don't like them. Oh, you tolerate them. Does Jesus tolerate you or does he love you? And we're supposed to love each other. You don't have to agree with everything somebody does. People do cruel things. They're people. Finding a way to actually love them requires vulnerability and oftentimes pain. But do we love each other or do we just tolerate each other? Let's not tolerate each other. Let's love each other. As Jesus modeled for us. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves the child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commandments. In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commandments and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it? that overcomes the world, only the one that believes Jesus is the Son of God. It's amazing that that's all tied together, isn't it? Love for your brother and sister actually is tied in this section of believing that Jesus is the Son of God. John ties them up in one neat package. They are not separate issues. He has it all lumped together. And I don't think that's an original thought from the author John. As I've said already this morning, I believe this to be the divinely inspired word of God. But there was a human author who had a personality, and it comes out. However, I feel God truly inspired those things to be one and the same concept. Do you love Jesus? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Because if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you're going to behave as though Jesus is the Son of God. And therefore, you have to love God. And in loving God, you have to love your neighbor. And you have to follow his commandments. And it's all one and the same. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. 
It's going as far as to saying, if you don't accept the testimony of God, you're calling God a liar. Not a position I want to be in. I remember the Old Testament. Not a position I want to be in. Because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. People misuse that when teaching people poor doctrine. If we ask anything in accordance with his will, that's that catch 22. If we ask it in accordance to his will, he will give us what we ask for. If it's according to his will, there's this uh, brand among Christianity that feels God is obligated to listen to us because of verses like this. Like we have to, if he, if we say it with enough faith, God has to do it. Who's God in that scenario? You got to watch yourself sometimes. <laughs> you don't want to get too big for your britches. If we ask it according to his will. It's according to his will. Because he's God and he knows and we don't. Even if I knew where I was going to end up at 41 years of age. Do you think that there is a possibility that with the knowledge of all the things I would want to have, that I wouldn't have screwed it up taking my own route? I guarantee I would have. Because God has gifted this life to me. All these aspects of my life that I love, I never thought I would have. I never worked for. I could not earn. It is the grace of God. And I only appreciate that because I am a student of the Seminary of Hard Knocks. And the difference between the School of Hard Knocks and the Seminary of Hard Knocks is one of them is teaching you about God. The other one is just beating you up. So I claim the Seminary of Hard Knocks. It's how I learn about God. I do something stupid. By the grace of God, I learn not to do that again. But without that education, would I appreciate what God let me have? No. Because I'm a selfish little boy. Deep in my heart, aside from the grace of God, that is all I've ever been, is a selfish little boy. But thanks to the grace of God, somehow I'm a fully functioning man. Well, suppose that's debatable, but I'm a functioning man who has many blessings and many things I could not earn. And God is just 
continuing to pour this on me. It's amazing, and it's all Jesus. Anything good in my life is because of Jesus. Anything bad in my life is stuff I probably haven't turned over to Jesus yet. Or I'm still working through the scar tissue that I build up. Could be. Verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have approaching God, that we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Sorry. Wow. If you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray that God will give them life. And those, oh, excuse me, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. I'm always confused by that section of Scripture, but I refuse to skip it. I have an interpretation of what that means. I'm a firm believer that where there is life, there is hope. However, I also know you should you are not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You will not be forgiven for that. But where there is life, there is hope. We should be praying for one another. We should be praying for one another for the will of God to be apparent in their lives. Not that they conform to our will, but that we would all conform to the will of the Father. Because even the good things that I try to do for God fall flat. The things I try to do through God have some impact. Get the subtle distinction, correct? The things that I, me, me, myself, and I try to do for God fall flat. I'm not going to impress God with my abilities. And neither are you. My love and obedience, asking God to help me do what is right, will that please the heart of my Father? As far as I understand it, you betcha. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe. And the evil one cannot harm them. That's good news. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We also know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. There's a lot of people who try to claim that the Bible never says that Jesus is the Son of God or that Jesus is God. 
Did you not just hear that declaration? And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That's in 1 John. If you ever hear anyone say that again, just be like, 1 John 5 at the end. It says it. <sighs> I didn't plan for this to be the Thanksgiving sermon, but I think it works. Because every sermon is a Thanksgiving sermon. And every hymn is a Thanksgiving hymn. In the same way that every hymn is actually a Christmas song. And every sermon is actually a Christmas sermon. I am incredibly thankful for the people in my life. I'm incredibly thankful that Jesus has gifted me with the people that are in my life. I want to be, I want to be more like Jesus. I know I'm not alone in that thought. I want to be more in the will of God. My friend Wendy brought up last week that growing up in the Alliance tradition, they talk a lot about what is the will of God for your life. And I was thinking back, and I actually hadn't heard that question since I went to an Alliance youth group as a kid. So I'm going to ask. What is God's will for your life? If you think about your life right now and all the things in it, what do you think God's will for your life is? Now, part of me wants to go back to the Westminster Catechism, Article 1, because that's where I always go. What is the chief end of man? Why are we here? to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yes, that is my purpose. But let's take it a little more personally. As long as we keep that focus in mind, what is God's will for my life? Is God going to bless me with the opportunity to pastor here until I die? Which could be any time, realistically. Am I just holding the spot for a couple of years till someone else is ready? <clears throat> Am I going to say the wrong thing and are y'all going to fire me? Is that wrong thing actually going to be the right thing? There's a lot of questions out there. But what I should be really worried about is what is God's will for my life? Am I following Jesus? Am I being obedient to the will of God? Am I loving my neighbors? Am I loving the people that God blessed me with? Am I showing my appreciation for this incredible gift of grace that I can never earn simply by loving God? Just appreciating what God gave me by giving thanks. Just appreciating this unearnable gift from God. 
That's really all I have to do is appreciate it enough to do what my father says. By father, I mean God, of course. Alrighty. So if you can do so without hurting a lot, uh, please stand with me. And I would like to pray for us. <clears throat> Father God, I thank you for your words, your words in Holy Scripture, Lord. Father God, anything that I said that was outside of your will, Lord, I pray that people would forget it. But Lord, I pray that your words and your intention from this reading would resonate and echo within each of us. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I praise you that you first loved us. I pray that you would help us to love you more and that as an offshoot of that, we would love each other more. I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, I also pray that you would be with the council meeting and this wonderful smelling lunch afterwards. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.